Today we conclude our series on Eileen Warnos. We'll take a look at her last several murders, the investigation into these crimes, how police honed in on Eileen, and her eventual arrest. We'll also discuss her trial, her sentence, and give our final thoughts on Eileen and her story. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you were even the slightest bit sympathetic to Eileen at the end of part one, stick around. Let's see how you feel after the conclusion of today's episode, once you know the rest of the story. This is Necronomapod. Like this and getting rich off it all these years in, in total pathological lying. Yeah, thanks a lot. I lost my fucking life because of it. Couldn't even get a fair trial. Couldn't even get a fair investigation or nothing. Couldn't even have my appeals right. You sabotaged my ass, society, and the cops, and the system. A raped woman got executed. It was used for books and movies and shit. Ladder climbs, re-election, everything else. I got big finger in all your faces, thanks a lot. You're, inhuman, you're an inhumane bunch of fucking living bastards and bitches, and you're gonna get your asses nuked in the end, and pretty soon it's coming. All right, people have been clamoring for it. Why beat around the bush? Let's just dive right in. Ian, part two, where do we leave off? Where we left off on part one, Eileen had murdered Richard Mallory, whether it was self-defense or straight-up murder. Regardless, she killed Richard Mallory. Five months after Richard Mallory, Eileen committed her next known murder of David Spears on May 19, 1990. According to Eileen, the murder of David Spears went down like this. Quote, We were getting nude and everything, and we were screwing around and all that stuff, getting drunk and everything. And uh, is this a transcript from Mike in college, or is this Eileen? (laughs) I think it works both ways. Okay, I'm just asking the question. Much like me in college. (laughs) He wanted to go in the back of the truck, and all I remember is that I think there was some kind of lead pipe or something like that, and we were in the back of the truck, and when I got back there, he started getting vicious with me. And I jumped out of the truck and he jumped out of the truck, ran to the, to the care. I mean, to the door, opened the door, grabbed my bag, grabbed the gun out. And I shot him as quick as possible. I shot him at the tailgate of the truck. And then he ran around to the driver's side, trying to get in the truck towards me, which was weird towards me. And I just ran into the truck toward him. And I thought, what the hell you think you're doing, dude? You know, I'm going to kill you because you were trying to do whatever you could with me. And I shot him through the, through the door. And then he was kind of went back and I went right through the driver's side and shot him again. And he fell back. And that's all I remember on that one. What do we think after, after part one, are people sympathetic to Eileen at this point? Maybe a little bit, just mildly sympathetic. After reading part one, I didn't have my mind made up. Okay. And I feel dot, like, dot, dot. I feel like as we move forward with some of these confessions that the, the tide might turn there. Yeah. Part one, it ends very, you're Can very sympathetic yeah. to, towards her. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, I don't, I, I, I wasn't sympathetic towards her mostly because I didn't really, I didn't love that story changing so many times. Um, you know, when she, she retold what it was at three different times, she told the story of that first, and the Mallory, probably so, more than that over yeah. the years, but I was on the fence. I was not sympathetic, but I wasn't one way or the other. And then this one, obviously I, I have thoughts at the end. Okay. That's fair. You asked, I answered. 
that's how we do it around here. <laughs> At the time, David Spears was 43 years old and was a construction worker right outside of Orlando. David was divorced, but still on good terms with his ex-wife, D, in good enough terms that David gave her half his monthly paycheck. And some reports say that they were on track to settle their differences and get remarried. They also had a daughter who either had a birthday coming up or a high school graduation, depending on what source you read. Regardless, on that day, David was heading to CD to give her money and he had extra money for his daughter as a gift. Eileen was hitchhiking and David decided to give her a ride. All of what we're going to talk about here was completely unlike David, according to people who knew him, which makes his story the most confusing of all of Eileen's victims. Eileen wanted to go to Homosassa Springs, which was 75 miles in the opposite direction from David's ex-wife's house. Like every story Eileen told, the one about David Spears changed depending on when she told it. However, the general story is that David was going to rape Eileen. Whether you believe Eileen acted in self-defense or not, the facts of David Spears' murder are this. David's truck was found abandoned 10 miles west from where Eileen later picked him up. A blonde hair was found on the steering wheel and a ripped Trojan condom wrapper was found on the floor of the vehicle. All of the items in the vehicle, including his tools and clothing, were gone, as well as all of David's money, which included his paycheck, which he cashed, he had that cash on him, the money for his daughter, and $600 in emergency money that he hid in the vehicle. Clearly not very well. Yeah, where would you hide six hundred dollars in your vehicle? Under a seat, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not the best, but what are you gonna do? The back of a glove box? Yeah, not in there. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe better men, Dave, could probably like take out a radio and put it behind there. <laughs> we obviously could not. Well, that's where Ian hides his cocaine back behind the fuse box. Wow, cafe, right? motherfucker! God damn! When he's transporting it to, uh, Ian's like, I cannot Honduras. confirm nor deny those allegations thrown upon me at this time. I feel like Eileen was kind of born born too early. She was ahead of her time, like. Florida's stand your ground laws now. Like you can basically empty a 32 round clip <laughs> into someone for giving you the stink eye. Like maybe the, the <laughs> people would, think I hate Florida. God damn. Like she might've done better with this. Ultimately with this, you know, being attacked. She was a generation too early. Days, yes. a generation too early. Well, and she would have had fucking Jose Baez and ball game. Right. Yeah. She'd have, been, so. she'd have been bar hopping around the Palm Beach uh, bars or Fort Lauderdale or wherever. But he'd have made her blow him for to pay the fees and she'd have shot his ass too, though. She'd be like, it's nope, true. maybe. Bite your dick off, I'm going to shoot you. Like in the crime scene with Richard Mallory, the driver's side seat had been moved forward to a position where David wouldn't be able to drive, showing that someone else had driven the car after he died. How tall was she? Was she short? average eh, shorter a little taller but yeah i mean shorter than i don't know how some of those people drive you ever drive by those some of those women they have the car seat like pushed all the way up they're like <laughs> you couldn't fit a piece of paper between them and the steering wheel and they're like how are you driving how is that even possible that's like my grandma's car when i like would move it for her i'd have to get in like it was like literally <laughs> right. all the way up your knees are like at your chin <laughs> like, <laughs> stuck like, how can you even, you can't even turn your head to look out the, out the, the mirrors and see what's going on. Well, 
I'm always astonished. Sounds pretty accurate the way they're driving out there. (laughs) On June 1st, a man hiking found David's body in a clearing of pine trees. David's body was badly decomposed, and he was nude besides a camo baseball hat on his head. On the ground near the body was another torn Trojan condom wrapper and several cans of Bush and Budweiser beer. When the autopsy was done, the coroner found that David had been shot six times with a twenty-two in the chest. Based on the accounts from literally everyone that David knew, police theorized that David would not have picked up a sex worker, that he most likely picked up a hitchhiker to be nice, and it turned into a robbery, and the crime scene was staged. Have you ever picked up a hitchhiker? You know what? Actually, I did not do this willingly, but I was a part of that before. It wasn't fine. It was very scary. Mm. A man or a woman? A man. One of my friends just decided to pick this guy mm. up, and it was uh, it was interesting for I'm, sure. I'm good with that. I, I, bet, I bet you judged that friend as hard as we judged you when you signed up with your real information from some <laughs> dark web sites <laughs> and, uh, you know, just befriended Kevin. Yeah, it wasn't great. He started playing Metallica on the back of the thing. He was sitting in the back seat. He was playing with his fingers. and no. Nope. It got real weird. And I was nope. very scared. <laughs> I've seen the movie The Hitcher. I'm not fucking picking up hitchhikers. Pass. What Metallica song was he playing? I think it was like Enter Sandman or something. Something oh, more popular. Shoot the guy in the head and throw him out right there. The wow. worst Metallica song ever. <laughs> <laughs> fucking garbage music. <laughs> Jesus. Terrible. Oh my Fire God. Up. Now he has offended Metallica fans and uh, <laughs> citizens of the great state of Florida tonight. <laughs> It's not my stand your ground law. It's theirs. What are you talking about? <laughs> Just saying. Not long after Eileen killed David Spears, Charles Karskadon made the mistake of picking up Eileen on either May 21st or May 22nd, 1990. About this, Eileen said, quote, that guy, uh, the drug dealer, he had $20. He wasn't going to give me more money. The one with the 45 on top of his hood. He crawled in the back seat and I crawled in the back seat and he said, you fucking bitch and all that stuff. And I thought you fucking bastard. I shot him in the back seat, and then I got out and kept shooting. I shot him more than over nine times because I was pissed when I found the 45 on top of the car. So her killing spree started with her being physically abused and it's escalated to the point now where she got in the back seat and he said, you fucking bitch. And she shot him. I will say that I, I guess if you actually were raped, like, if she was telling the truth the first time, then that in her mind probably is the start of that same scenario happening again. So, you know, wrong or right in her mind, Possibly. she thinks that that's what's about to happen. And also this is like, well, I think in her mind, she's absolutely right. Yeah. And this is like two days after the last one. So we're, we're accelerating with our timeline here. She shows classic signs of mm. serial killing. Like if you're going to say that, Richard Mallory wasn't self-defense if it didn't go down like that. She killed him. And then there's this cool off period Mm -hmm. in the beginning and, you know, classic cool down period she kills. And then now it's, she's, you know, more on a steady path here at the time. Charles was 41 years old and driving from his mother's home in Missouri to pick up his fiance in Tampa, Florida. Eileen was hitchhiking. And from there, Eileen said, Charles picked her up to pay for sex Eileen shot him seven times in the chest, then reloaded her 22 and shot him two more times after Charles was dead. Eileen said she did this in self-defense after she saw the 45 that Charles had. 
but in later letters to her friend Dawn, Eileen said that she did it to rob Charles. Okay. There's so many what ifs with mm. Eileen's story or, you know, questions because you just don't know what's the truth. There's so many different versions. Yeah, it's hard to keep track. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard changing. to hold her to the self-defense thing when she's changing her story all the time, but then always falls back to the self-defense. It just, you know, doesn't do much for credibility. Yeah. And, and the fact that she's now much, you know, it's much quicker for her to pull the trigger and kill these people. Much. In my mind, this is very similar to what we just covered on Patreon with Joe uh, Metheny, where, you know, he said he just had a thirst for killing after the first one. This almost kind of seems like the same thing in some ways. She had that first kill. Maybe like you said, Dave, and you know, I'm jumping ahead, I think, but yeah, that right. first kill, you know, maybe the show doesn't have to be linear. You do whatever you want. <laughs> maybe it was self-defense, but then she was kind of like, oh, that felt good. Yeah, sure. Combination of the above. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Also, you mentioned the, the 20 bucks. I saw someone commented they were this week there on part one. They were curious why oral costs more than full sex or costs less than full sex. Excuse me. I don't know. Isn't full I mean, sex more intimate than just a blowjob? So I always thought blowjobs real like, quick, you know, half yeah. as much, right? It's, I mean, I feel like sex workers aren't really having sex because they enjoy it, right? Like, it's not like they're getting more out of it. They're just doing their job, getting their money and getting on. Yeah, but taking all their clothes off and giving up a part of your body is a lot more invasive and more more work. work. More work, sure. Yeah, I don't see the issue with that at all. That's my feelings. I agree. Okay. (laughs) We're all on the same page. (laughs) If you're looking for a necro blowjob, it's going to be cheaper than having done fucking one of us. So just so you know. We'll see you on the live shows coming up. Oh, listen to tour dates. Check us out at uh, Ticketmaster.com. Michael only charged you 20 bucks to blow him backstage. <laughs> if he has to fuck you, it's full price. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's real good. Winner of each night gets to, to sign my dangle with a Sharpie. They, they, they win the night. Here you go. We, do it, we also do it. We also do it glory hole style. So I don't know who's on the other side. All comers welcome, but I will come the best. All right, this is. Let's just. Charles's body was found 23 miles away from Tampa on June 6th, and his body was hidden with some leaves and a green blanket. The Cadillac Charles was driving was found the following day, around 45 miles away from where his body was found. Eileen had stolen his 45, a blanket, a stun gun, a Zippo lighter, a watch, and a suitcase. That is zero attempt to hide what you've done. (laughs) None None at all. None at all. That's asking to be caught. Either a day or two after Charles's body was found on June 7th or 8th, 1990, Eileen struck again when she killed Peter Seams. About this, she said, quote, oh, let me see. Third guy. I had a problem with, uh, let's see. I think one's the one. He's a Christian guy or something. I didn't know he was a Christian guy. He was nude. This is the one in Georgia, I think. And he had, he took a sleeping bag, took it out in the woods, and we got nude. I had taken my bag with me that time because I said, well, if you're going to go out in the woods, I'm not going to give him the opportunity to rape me. And that's the time this guy gave me a problem too. And so I whipped out my gun and I said, you know, I don't want to shoot you. He didn't say anything. Just looked at me and said, you fucking bitch. And I said, no, you are going to rape me. 
because he was getting physical with me again. And I knew, and he said, fuck you, bitch. And started to come at me. And he was, you know, trying to get the gun from me and stuff. We're struggling on that one. And he tried to get the gun from me and stuff, but we're struggling with the gun and everything else. A couple of bullets shot up in the air and finally I ripped it away and I had the gun in my left hand and I put it back in my right hand and I shot him immediately. And I'm positive. The only one in Georgia is the missionary guy. I remember the missionary guy. I shot him once. That's my nickname in college. The missionary Missionary guy. guy? Yeah. And you got repeat business with that nickname? Oh, really? When you do it well. (laughs) (laughs) Did she call this guy the missionary guy because he was a Christian missionary trying to convert her because he just liked to do it boring style? He was well, a I Christian think, missionary. I think we, we got to that in the next paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if that was a joke or you were asking. <laughs> oh, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, God damn. <laughs> it's literally the next sentence. <laughs> Look, there's nothing wrong with missionary sex, Dave. I didn't say there was, Mike. Just maybe not every time. 90% of the time. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where to go. Talking out my ass. That one. By all accounts, Peter Seams was a very nice man who did missionary work. And on June 7th, 1990, he was headed out to visit relatives in Arkansas. He was driving a 1988 Silver Pontiac Sunbird, and somewhere along his travels, he picked up Eileen in Georgia. All we have to go off of with Peter's murder is Eileen's story. His body was never found. So no Mm. forensic evidence, anything to go off of. I had a convertible Pontiac Sunbird in the early 90s. Yeah. I loved it. It was cool. It was (laughs) I was six years old. I was cruising around in my convertible. <laughs> I would drive around when it was like 30, put, put the top down, put the heat all the way up. <laughs> Is that what you did? Yeah, all the time. Your mullet. <laughs> That's right. You had a, in all fairness, he had a sweet moulet back in the day. I've seen those photos of him in high school. <laughs> I like that car. It was cool. All right. If any of you uh, car guys out there have an extra one laying around, send it up to us. We'll, we'll, we'll give you the P.O. box. Send Dave his, uh, what was it? Pontiac what? Sunbird. Sunbird. Yep. All right. What was your first car, Ian? Was that your first car, Dave? It was not, no. Uh, what was your first? We, uh, we've talked about Volkswagen this. Volkswagen Rabbit. What is that? A rabbit? <laughs> it's, a, it's a Volkswagen. <laughs> it's a rabbit. Oh, okay. I had not heard of that. Yeah. All right. Volkswagen's a badass. It was cool. It was all right. Got the job done. <laughs> Got me from point A to point B. That's right. <laughs> what was yours? Chrysler K car. I don't know what the fuck that is either. I don't know what a K car is. Sure. Boxy yeah. fucking thing. Mm. All right. The seats were like the bench ones that mm. those seats come up together. Oh, damn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not the one you racked, is it? No. No. That was later on. Yeah. All right. Not a Chevy Cavalier. Hmm. I had one of those. Like that was my next car. Was a was Cavalier? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good talk. After that, I had a Camaro with a big upside Ooh. down cross painted on the hood. <laughs> <laughs> Did you buy it that way? Yeah. So you saw it, you're like, I have to have that. That's from someone I knew. Yeah. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. sweet. <laughs> All right. That's the car that we we told the stories about dropping uh, bottle rockets and smoke bombs out of the, <laughs> out of the bottom of the floorboard because the floorboards were all rotted up. 
I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that story. Mm, sounds about right. <laughs> so the uh, the sacrilegious car is just blowing up, going down the road. People are like, see? And that rabbit was the car you could, uh, it had the... I got to uh, Google this. I got to look it up what a rabbit is. I think we talked about this too, but it had the the windshield wiper fluid came up and it <laughs> split off into two separate pipes. So you could crimp one side and get double pressure on the other side. And then we bent it the passenger side off to the right and you could pull up at a light and someone then and, and tap it and hit, hit, hit them in the face in their open window. Uh, yeah. That looks like the diesel version. Maybe mine was a little different than that. Yeah. That was awesome. That would be super fun. Just look over at someone. They're like, oh, what's up? They got their window there. <laughs> hit them in the face. I mean, it, or was it more like this? Mine was yellow, too. Wow. Mm, no? Not quite. Was your four-door? It was a four-door, yeah. All right. Well, I give up. I get the point, though. Nice little compact car. So Peter's family almost immediately reported him as missing. And it was pretty much a cold case as to where he would have disappeared to until july 4th 1990 on that day eileen and ty were out joyriding in peter's car when they came real close to rolling the car after they drove it through a fence an elderly couple jim and Rhonda bailey saw the whole accident play out as they were sitting on their front porch and they got a real good look at eileen and ty the couple also watched eileen rip the plates off the car and throw them in the woods along with the keys I mean, this almost has thrill kill feeling to it. They're not hiding anything. No. And like blackout drunk doing driving this car. They were completely fucked up. Mm. Yeah, this doesn't do well for your self-defense claims. When police took statements from the Baileys, they were able to get some pretty good sketches drawn. And using receipts from the car, they were able to show those sketches to people who worked at these stores. And they all recognized Eileen and Ty but couldn't put a name to them. Not too long after all of this, Eileen got a ride with 50-year-old Troy Burris on July 30th, 1990. Of this one, Eileen said, quote, He physically attacked me, and he laughed. He pulled out a $10 bill, and he said, This is all you fucking deserve, you fucking whore. Like that. And I said, Wait. And then he just... He threw the fucking money down, and I was standing in front of the truck here, and the door opened here, And he just came, didn't know I had a gun or anything. He came at me, we were fighting. And uh, when I got away from him and I ran back to the truck and I had my gun in the back and I ran in the back real quick and he, now we're still fighting. And somehow he, I kicked him or something. He backed away and I pulled my gun out and I said, you bastard. And I think I shot him right in the stomach or something. On July 30th, 1990, Troy was headed toward Daytona for work, but he never showed up. 2 a.m. the following morning, his wife reported him as missing. About two hours after he was reported as missing, police found his work van abandoned with the keys locked inside. Then five days later, a family going on a family picnic found Troy's body. His body was badly decomposed and he had to be identified by his wedding ring. Forensics showed that Eileen had shot Troy once in the chest and a second time in the back as he was trying to crawl away. I'm still not certain whether these guys were picking up what they thought were sex workers or if they were just being nice guys picking up hitchhikers. Or or maybe both. Or maybe a combination of both. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a combination of. Like the one guy who was trying to get 
make good with his ex-wife and bring his daughter like the birthday money. Oh, it seems to me like he was just a genuinely good guy who might have been picking somebody up and then got robbed. Yeah. I think the church guy, uh, Peter, or yeah, Peter seems from all accounts, mm. that guy, you know, I think he was just being a good Samaritan, you know, trying to help somebody out. Yeah. Probably a max. I think that's fair to say. Boy, wrong place, wrong time stuff going on here. Yeah. Kind of like those girls in Mike's frat house. <laughs> More like right place, right time. <laughs> You just won the lottery. (laughs) From there, Eileen killed two more times. And both of those, she didn't offer up much of a different story than the rest. And she claimed to have not even remembered Charles Humphreys at all. And as for Walter Antonio, it was the same story of self-defense. Charles Richard Humphreys, age 56. Eileen killed him on September 11th, 1990. He was a retired U.S. Air Force major, former state child abuse investigator, and former chief of police. On September 12th, his body was found in Marion County and had been shot six times in the head and torso, which is interesting because this goes back to the escalation thing, at least according to experts, that statistically when women kill with a gun, they aim for the chest, but men aim for the head. All of Eileen's murders so far had been to the chest or back, but with Charles, she shot him point blank in the head. It's mm, interesting. She's getting a feel for it, perfecting her style. Or it was, you know, like you said, it was like a, more of a fight or a struggle or something, and she just kind of shot as quick as she could. Or maybe she enjoyed the execution style of it. I, I tend to think she did this as a surprise. Well, I know Charles Humphreys had... Um, he had a bruise in his ribs that sure looked like a, the barrel of a gun. Mm. So his his murder points towards that she maybe held a gun against his ribs. Yeah. Like made him drive somewhere or something. So more premeditated than we're being led to believe. Yeah. With what she's telling here. Walter Antonio, age 62. He was a trucker security guard and police reservist was killed on November 17th, 1990. Two days later on November 19th, Antonio's partially naked body was found near remote logging road in Dixie County. And he had been shot four times once in the head. Captain Steve Binniger was the only one that really started to put things together that they had a serial killer operating in Florida, but with an odd victimology and just middle-aged white men. By the 90s, people had stopped picking up hitchhikers. So the thought was whoever was killing these guys was probably a woman. Like the fact that Eileen was a woman, dropped their guard, and they were willing to give her a ride. Yeah, that's logical. Two pieces of evidence that Binniger had to work with was the sketches of Eileen and Ty and a bloody palm print left at one of the crime scenes. So Binniger just started blasting their sketches all over Florida, which led to people calling in with solid tips for him to work with. A guy in Homosassa Springs called in saying two women matching the sketches rented an RV for a weekend from him. And after police went through the records, they found it was rented to a Tyra Moore and a Lee. Tyra's not very bright here. She uses her real name for everything. Hmm. (laughs) Not a master criminal. No. In Tampa, a worker from a motel 
called in and said that two women matching the description were living there for a bit and records showed it was Tyra Moore and a Susan Blahovic. The witness got to know them a bit and said that Susan was the more dominant of the two, like she was in charge. And the witness had spoken to Susan about her work as a sex worker who worked the Florida highways. Binniger found that Susan had some warrants out for her arrest and the mugshot matched one of the sketches. He also got some tips about Tyra Moore with a woman named Cammie Green. Cammie Green also had some warrants out for her arrest, and it was the same person as Susan. But the most damning piece of evidence came when Binniger was able to track down Richard Mallory's property that had been sold at a pawn shop. I don't know if this is still how it works in Florida, but at that time, to sell something at a pawn shop, you had to give a thumbprint. Cammie Green had pawned Mallory's stuff, and her thumbprint matched that bloody handprint. Through investigative work, Benninger linked that thumbprint to all of Eileen's aliases and figured out that her real name was Eileen Warnos. And also, pro tip, if you kill someone, don't give your thumbprint when you sell their stuff. It's probably not great. Pro- professional tip there. <laughs> uh, Dave, <not> <laughs> pro tip and common sense would lead you not to do that. By the end of November and into early December, Ty was feeling the heat from seeing her face all over the news, and she left Eileen and went to live with her parents. Eileen tried to give Ty Walter Antonio's wedding ring as an engagement ring, but Ty ended things. (laughs) Eileen turned around and pawned that ring under the name Cammie Green, not knowing that police were just waiting for that to happen. Uh Uh-oh. Not good. Where's your uh, little gimmick sign? (laughs) (laughs) So police were able to track down Ty and struck a deal to help police find Eileen. Through Ty, Binniger learned that they hung out a lot at the Port Orange Pub and another bar called The Last Resort. Did you know they found Ty uh, in Scranton, PA? Is that where they found her? Yeah, she was hiding out at Shrew Farms, I think. As a beet farmer. Good place to hide, right? <laughs> Didn't they get her to wear a wire? They did something. They got her to call Eileen and try to get her to confess, right? Yeah, there were some tapped phone calls. Yeah. These were both scary biker bars, like places that you know real quick that you don't belong there. Yeah, I know I don't belong there. <laughs> like, nope. Like when Nick Broomfield's doing the, the first documentary and he goes there to talk to the guy that was like the bar. I don't know if he was the bartender or the owner. But when he walked in there with his camera and his microphone, the whole place went like fucking dead silent and everyone like just stared hear, at you him. You hear like the jukebox nope. like screech like. <laughs> in this fucking huge like 6'5 guy with wearing a gator skin cowboy hat comes up and starts talking to him. Nope. <laughs> like damn, you have balls just walking in there with a camera. Investigative uh-huh. journalists have some crazy balls on them. Yeah. The stuff they, they do and put themselves into the situations. They think the camera lets them get away with it. You got to go live feed, live feed. Everyone can see this back at the back at the studio. If you kill me, they'll see it live. <laughs> that might be motivation for some people. But. It's like Animal House when they walk in there. All the white people walk in. The whole bar's like, <laughs> do you mind? Otis Redding stops singing. Dates? <laughs> That's a great scene. Police already had undercover officers in Florida posing as bikers that have been able to infiltrate that community. Those officers were Mike Joyner and Dick Martin. 
They had been looking for Eileen for a while, and on January 8th, 1991, they finally spotted her at the Port Orange pub and followed her to the last resort. Their report said, quote, Cut my life into pieces. (laughs) This is my last resort. (laughs) Suffocation. No breathing. (laughs) Sorry. Wrong word. I was real confused for a second. <laughs> didn't. 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 That was like the easiest song to learn on guitar back in the day. You just, it was like the same note. You just kind of move your fingers up and down the fret. Was that Papa Roach? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. They just came out with a new album Stop like it. two weeks that ago. That band's still around? I, really? Unfortunately. Oh, boy. Yeah, huh. like two weeks ago. I, I forgot all about them till you said like the last resort bar before. And I was like, holy fuck, <laughs> they were a band. <laughs> I saw them at Ozfest. They were at Ozfest uh, like in 2001 hmm. with uh, I think Lincoln Park was there. That's I think we've talked about it before on here. Crazy Town got booed off stage. Uh, Zach Wilde was there. Marilyn Manson was the co-headliner with Black Sabbath as the headliner, like a reunion of the original four. That's fun. It was a good show. Someone else. Uh, Kitty was there, right? Our pal Mercedes. Not in 2000, 2001. I don't think they were no? at that one. I don't believe so. No, I think we looked that up before and they were there either year before or the year oh, okay. after. Yeah. Drowning Pool was there. They were on the third stage in a parking lot. It was when they were their original singer before uh, he passed. Mm. Anyways. Okay. It's crazy when you look back some of the bands that were on like the second or third stage. Like I saw Tool at Lollapalooza. Yeah. Like the second year. Just on those small like stages. Like on the small stage, yeah. knowing who they were. It's like you really and 50 yet. people yeah. watching them at yeah. like 10 a.m. at a festival. That's right. All right. So the after I derailed uh, Ian's story, this is what the, uh, the officers who were uh, following Eileen had to say. <clears throat> a surveillance team was dispatched to the Daytona Beach area in search of Eileen Wernos. On January 8th, 1991, a team of officers inside the Port Orange pub on Ridgewood Avenue, Daytona, spotted Warnos at that location. Undercover officer Mike Joyner observed her with a tan suitcase, which she carried from one location to another. Conversations with her and the observations of the undercover team were that she has mood swings from friendly and congenial to aggressive and abusive and is known to consume both Bush and Budweiser canned beer and smoke Marlboro cigarettes. She told Mike Joyner that everything she had was in her suitcase and showed a key to him, which she said was his life. This was the key to her lockup at a storage warehouse. She then walked to the last resort bar where she had been sleeping tough on a yellow vinyl car seat outside of the premises. She spent the night in the bar with the suitcase. She hadn't any place to stay and told Joyner that she had broken up with her girlfriend, Ty, and missed her. Their surveillance continued until the evening hours of January 9th, 1991 at the last resort bar. Intelligence revealed a large party was to occur at the bar that evening. Because of this, a decision was made that surveillance would be almost impossible. So because of that party, police kept an eye on Eileen sleeping on the porch of the bar. And when she woke up in the morning, police arrested her. After this was all said and done, the last resort bar hung a portrait of Eileen above where she was sleeping that said, quote, here lies Eileen Mornos on her last day of freedom. In this portrait, Eileen looks very pretty, uh, not like when she was arrested. And the owner of the bar said that's because, quote, everyone deserves a break. She slept on the porch, huh? 
Yeah, she just mm. punk passed out drunk. Is that bar still there today? Like, can you go see her portrait up? I don't know if it's there today. Yeah, that's it's still there. That's got to be like on a uh, traveler's guide to serial killers, like cross mm. country. You got to go see that, right? I wouldn't go in for a beer. You might not be welcome. No, we'll go. We'll go get a picture in front of the the picture, and then we'll kick all the bikes over like Pee Wee Herman did. <laughs> 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 You're all a bunch of pussies. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Pee Wee Herman reference. <laughs> I say we let him go. I'm down. I'll do it. I love Pee Wee. Dave Herman. can do it. He'll fight all the women bikers because he won't lose. As soon as the news broke of this story, the movie deal started coming in. Eileen sold the rights to her story to the first producer that contacted her for $60 a month for the rest of her life, proving to many that Eileen never really grasped the weight of her upcoming trial or really how that process worked at all. Eileen thought it was a guarantee that she was going to be acquitted. So even though she thinks she's going to get out $60, the rest of her life is a good number. Amazing. That's wild. Is that the guy that made monster ultimately? Yeah, no, this is the story. person that made the first TV for okay. movie or made for TV one. Because I was going to say, Charlize Theron, would you like to answer for this? $60 lowball figure. But she didn't do that, make that much per day. Yeah, exactly. Psychiatrist for the defense testified that Eileen was mentally unstable and had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. The other thing that was pointed out too was her like education level or where she was at because like when you read or when I'm reading her quotes and it feels like a child talking like and then and then and then yeah yeah so that was part of people that thought that you know she was unfairly tried questioned her uh, like education level too yeah I can see that. Is she one that went right in there and started telling the cops everything without an attorney? And yeah. Yeah. And it's debated on if why she did that, you know, if she was just trying to take the heat for time. I personally don't believe it should be legal for you to waive your right to counsel. I don't believe the police should be able to speak to you without an attorney present. Not only should you never do that, I don't think it should be allowed, period. I wish we had the law and order noise. No, just like the, the in between scenes. The <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> Anytime they say something legal, we just hit that. Like dun, they, they shouldn't be able to talk you into doing it. It should just not be allowed, period. End of right. story. But then you're taking away the right of that person to also just speak freely. Well, that's too bad because it just shouldn't Sorry, happen. person, you're, just an shouldn't idiot. Happen. you're an idiot and you don't deserve to have that right. It's just, it should We're be, ma- it should be mandatory. Oh, Dave, there's a lot about the, you know, laws and rules and constitutions in this country well, that probably should be. It's just updated. my opinion. It happens to be right, though. Dave, you're missing the point of the joke. It's not the song. It's not the intro. I of the know show. what it's, you're doing. It's the scene. It's the scene, man. <laughs> You have to have like a good. It's quip. funnier when I like, hum the song. Though. You have to have like you know some kind of little quip before it goes into like the you know the music. It shows pictures of us in black and white, like trench coats on, walking on the road, like eating like hot dogs from like the stand. 
iced teas behind us for no reason other than we just paid them so we could look hard. Hopefully he brings his wife Coco. Yeah, now you're talking. Magusta. Smoke show. On January 14th, 1992, Eileen went on trial for the killing of Richard Mallory. Ty testified that Eileen had been overly upset when Eileen told her about what happened to Richard Mallory. Eileen's confession was self-defense, and what was used at trial was her account of Richard Mallory violently raping her and Eileen killing him in self-defense. All that stuff we talked about on part one. Florida has a law called the Williams Rule which allows other crimes someone has committed to be shown as evidence. So jurors heard everything about Eileen's other murders, which that doesn't seem very fair. Well, since she wasn't convicted of them yet. Right. Yeah. Sure doesn't. (laughs) I'm not sure if it was just incompetence of Eileen's public defenders or what, but the jury never heard all the details of Mallory's past. Like the fact that he spent years in a mental facility for rape. They heard nothing about any of that. It was just Mallory's this upstanding great guy. I honestly think that if they would have heard that evidence, Eileen would have been acquitted. It's my opinion that that first murder was self-defense, that that went down like she said it did. Definitely the most questionable, I think, of the ones that, you know, based on what we've heard the last couple weeks. Did she have a public defender in this trial? Yeah, until... Dr. Legal comes in the picture. Right. That was later. Okay. What do you suppose in those situations, Dave? What's that? Should they have the public defender there? Should they do it themselves? Should they have to have a public defender? Well, what say you? I thought that in at least in Ohio, I thought in death penalty cases, you don't necessarily get a public defender. There's only a few defense attorneys that are certified for death penalty cases. So it's not like you're getting like the, public defender off the right, top right, of the right, stack right so it's at least supposed to be qualified special to, pile yeah for that yeah tim misney will make them pay <laughs> you get him so in a death penalty case you should at least get a somewhat qualified defense attorney i don't think this is a death penalty case too that's another part of the story that this what about a legal definitely not a death what about a legal case? system or if the prosecutor seeks the death penalty it's like a loser leaves town match Whereas if the prosecution <laughs> loses, he gets the death penalty. <laughs> Court TV, you're welcome for those ratings. They might be more hesitant to try people for the death penalty. I, I'm just cases. saying. <laughs> like, let's go in knowing one of these motherfuckers is going to die. Let's see what happens. Do you think anyone would ever get tried for the death penalty? This is just your communist way of getting rid of the death penalty altogether. <laughs> but. That one time someone went for it, would we not all be eyes on TV? Like, holy shit, that was, <laughs> they just cut off the prosecutor's head. <laughs> just saying. Okay. <laughs> dun, dun. After two weeks, Eileen was found guilty of the murder of Richard Mallory and sentenced to death. Before the trials even started, that producer that got the rights to Eileen's story made a made-for-TV movie that came out in 1992 called Overkill, the Eileen Warno story. Regardless of you know what the opinion is of what Eileen did, you know whether you believe it's self defense or not, she was surrounded by just scummy fucking people that wanted to make money off of her story, and that goes for the police too. Was it because she was just a female? You think she was billed as like the headlines everywhere were like the first female serial killer. Mm -hmm. Even when you Google her name today, 
they're still, you know, your, your standard, like, news websites and yeah, stuff or yeah. blog sites that call her the first. So everyone knew there was potential gold mine in making that movie. And everyone struck. And, yeah. and she didn't really have anyone there to protect her. Right. I still feel like we're on a sympathetic. Uh, no, no, I was asking why she was getting her. so many offers. Yeah. You know, she was the, you know, not every male serial killer gets this. Maybe they do. I don't know. But you don't hear about it, at least in what we've covered. Why did she get so many? Because she's a female. And then on top of that, she had, I mean, I'm not trying to be sympathetic. I, I'm but not. just your statement that no one was there to protect her. Like if it was a male serial killer and this was happening, I don't think anyone would be like, who someone's there to protect her. Fuck that guy. Who I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Cause we don't, we haven't discussed it. Is yeah. what my point was, it was, you know, point eight was she's the female. So she's getting all of these yeah. point B. I'm just saying subconsciously, I feel yeah, like, I don't think yeah, it is. So, okay. I don't, my mind's pretty made up on her. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, pal. I'm just saying. Like, because what we talked about, she didn't have like an attorney there that, you know, was yeah. blocking her from all of this or, you know, right. anyone who came into her life. It seems like, well, we'll get into it. I'm jumping the gun again. All right. No sympathy from this guy. Still a loser leaves town match. <laughs> I stand by that. I stand by that. I might run for Congress. <laughs> Steve Binnaker did great work in solving this case, put a lot of stuff together, but uh, he ultimately proved to be a piece of shit. Yeah, just add water to the guy. He's a total douche. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> Captain Steve Binnaker, de- Detective Bruce Munster, who took down Eileen's confession and officer dan henry were all in negotiations on the side to sell their stories to movie producers while this is all going on like the all the trial and that's stuff. not a conflict at all no <laughs> not even a little bit the officer who blew the whistle on this was harassed out of his job by other police officers but ultimately the three of them lost their jobs and could there's arguments out there that it should have resulted in mistrials or or something um but eileen had already been sentenced to death which is pretty much, you know, it's almost impossible yeah. to overturn that. It absolutely should have been a mistrial. That's police misconduct. And that that police officer it was on. pathetic now. I never said I was. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the, he was on Nick Broomfield's first documentary mm. telling that part of the story. Yeah. They like harassed him out of completely out of work. Mm. The, the whistleblower. Yeah. Yeah. The other really scummy people that came out and fully capitalized on Eileen Warnos was born again Christian Arlene Prale and lawyer Stephen Glazer, aka Doctor Legal. Glazer, I barely know her. <laughs> funny. I just kept thinking of uh, who's the guy from Fox Sports, Jay Glazer. Jay Glazer. And at first, I was like, "Wait, is this the same guy?" No, from Ballers, sports analyst. He was on Ballers. He was on Ballers. Yeah. yeah. The end. He's one of the, he's does UFC too. Yeah. Fox. Well, he used, used to, to yeah. used to after the Mallory trial, Eileen was legally adopted by Arlene Prale after Prale had a dream in which she was told to quote, take care of Eileen. According to Prale, Jesus told her to write to Eileen and she did. Dave, did uh, Jesus <laughs> ever speak to you in a dream and tell you to save someone who is a convicted serial killer or on trial for killing multiple people. He told me to adopt <laughs> Megan, the stallion. I've been trying to get that paperwork in order, but she's not returning my calls. Yes. I wasn't aware you could adopt adults. So 
I didn't know that was an option, so now I'm pursuing. Once you've every adopted legal her, avenue. what's your plan? I just you know have her come live with me and okay. <laughs> provide for. Her. Yes, provide for her. <laughs> you will provide for her. Okay. <laughs> she will provide boners for me. <laughs> new new owner of Cool Down Media, Megan Desalian. <laughs> What Eileen didn't know was that Prale was receiving money for giving interviews, including one with Nick Broomfield, who we've talked about on camera. Prale and uh, Stephen Glazer talk about that they want $25,000 for Nick Broomfield to speak with Eileen. Then it was negotiated to 10000 but all that's seen on camera is that they gave him a thousand or that Nick Broomfield gave them a thousand. So hopefully he didn't, didn't give them the full amount. What does Eileen get out of this deal? It was something very small. Yeah. She gets two parts on Necronomapod, pal. Is that right? <laughs> Settle your tea kettle. A couple of ramens in her prison commissary account. She didn't eat them based on what we're going to get to. Mm. Part of that money went to Stephen Glazer, who Prail hired. Chief Assistant Public Defender Trissa Jenkins accused Glazer of mishandling Eileen's cases and appeals. Jenkins testified that Glazer never picked up the discovery files from the cases. Instead, Glazer filed a notice that he was taking over the case and a motion to change Eileen's original not guilty plea to a no contest on that same day. On March 31st, 1992, Eileen pleaded no contest to the murders of Dick Humphreys, Troy Burris, and David Spears, saying she wanted to, quote, get right with God. Eventually, throughout this, Eileen began to suspect that Prail was only there for publicity and money. Eileen told Nick Broomfield in an interview that Prail and Glazer were telling her ways to kill herself in prison. She suspected they advised the no contest plea because Glazer was too inexperienced to handle a multiple murder trial, and they just wanted her dead to sell the exclusive story rights. Because now Arlene Prail is considered her mother. All that would be in her. She owns control. the rights. Everything. Right. Yeah. Are these clowns still around? Oh yeah. Mm, be careful. Mm, living out their lives. But Dave, it's born again Christian. Well, you know, straight clowns. Both of these people. They do not seem like fine human beings. No. Doctor Legal is absurd in that documentary. I gotta watch. That. I've never seen that. He's got like the afro. Mm. He's like smoking joints where they're driving to go. He's driving the car. Nick Broomfield's filming from the passenger seat. They're driving to meet Eileen. He's just smoking joints. and Sounds like effective legal counsel. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Something fishy going on here, Mike. I don't like it. Shouldn't be doing a weed if you're trying to provide legal counsel. No, you shouldn't. Put, don't do a doobie and show up in my courtroom. That's all I have to say. Judge Mike has spoken. <laughs> You come here with that death penalty, you better be prepared to have it thrown back at you. <laughs> this is that's right. Loser dies courtroom. <laughs> You're gonna bring that shit. In 1992, Eileen pleaded guilty to the murder of Charles Karskadon and received her fifth death sentence. In February 1993, she pleaded guilty to the murder of Walter Antonio and was again sentenced to death. During this plea to the court, she held her statement that Mallory had raped her, and Eileen said, quote, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did finally rape me, as I told you, but the others did not. They only began to start to. 
On May 15th, 1993, Judge Thomas Swaya handed down three more death sentences. Eileen turned to Assistant State Attorney Rick Ridgway and said, quote, I hope your wife and children get raped in the ass, motherfucker. God damn. She's Nick Broomfield's there for the filming of that, too, because he was allowed to film in the courtroom. Okay. That's one of those moments where you see that really angry side mm. of Eileen come out. That sounds familiar. Actually. Doesn't I do think much. I have seen that. Doesn't do much to help the uh, overall image. Eh, she wasn't ever going to win an appeal anyway. It doesn't matter. I just meant a public opinion. Mike's opinion. Meaning if she hadn't said that, you might have had more empathy. Maybe I would have thought this was she was innocent in all of these. Oh, I don't know. Eh, that was your deciding factor. I didn't say that. Just saying it doesn't help. Hmm. But it might have tipped the scales. Eileen <laughs> <laughs> was sent to the Florida Department of Corrections, Broward Correctional Institution, death row for women, then transferred to the Florida State Prison for execution. Her appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court was denied in 1996. In a 2001 petition to the Florida Supreme Court, she said she wanted to dismiss her legal counsel and drop all pending appeals. Eileen said, quote, I killed those men, robbed them as cold as ice. I do it again, too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I'm so sick of hearing this. She's crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. That's pretty clear. Can't get much clearer than that. I don't know. She's an enigma, this one. Yeah. In 2002, Eileen started accusing prison staff of putting dirt, spit, and urine in her food. She said she had overheard conversation among prison staff, quote, trying to get me so pushed over the brink by them, I'd wind up committing suicide before the execution and, quote, wishing to rape me before the execution. She also complained of strip searches, tight handcuffing, door kicking, frequent window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and, quote, catcalling and distaste, a pure hatred towards me. Eileen threatened to boycott showers and food trays when certain officers were on duty. And she said, quote, in the meantime, my stomach's growing away and I'm taking showers through the sink of my cell. Her attorney stated, quote, Miss Warnos really just wants to have proper treatment, humane treatment, until she's executed. He added, quote, she believes what she's written. In the weeks before her execution, Eileen gave a series of interviews to Nick Broomfield and talked about, quote, being taken away to meet God in Jesus and the angels and whatever is beyond the beyond. However, in one of those interviews, she thought the cameras were off and she whispered to Nick that all of the murders were in self-defense and she was just done with life and wanted to die. So that's why she was saying it was all straight up murder. In her final interview, she once again said that her mind was, quote, tortured at BCI and her head was being crushed by sonic pressure. Her last words to Nick Broomfield were, quote, you sabotaged my ass, society and the cops and the system. A raped woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Mm. I think these people talked all this Jesus nonsense into her. Made her give up. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't love that. Not at all. Yeah, makes sense. 
Eileen's execution happened on October 9th, 2002. She declined her last meal, which could have been anything under $20, and instead asked for a cup of coffee. Her last words were, quote, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie, big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. Mm. $20 last meal, cheap motherfuckers in Florida. They don't even give them to you in Texas anymore. That's what I was going to say. Come on. Texas, no more at all. What do you get? Just whatever the prison slop they're serving at that? Or nothing at all. Mm. Because somebody... One of someone was a dick about it, and oh, like we've talked about got a this. bunch of food, and then did, refused to eat any of it. So they just said, "No, we're never doing it again." Mm. Which seems a little harsh. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, one person let them fucking eat their last meal. We talked about doing a show one time on just last meat, famous last meals from execution. Yeah. Hey, cool. I like to read that. Twenty bucks. Come on. What are you going to get for that? DoorDash charges me that for a blizzard and some French fries, <laughs> motherfucker. Jesus. DoorDash. Can you get like, uh, I don't know. There's not even dollar menus anymore. Everything's value menus. So I guess I'd order like, all right, give me 15 double cheeseburgers from McDonald's just to make it a pain in the ass for them at that point. Just so you shit yourself all over the yeah, place when right. they kill you. So I have to clean yes, it up. Right. Fuck you. Just look them in the eyes. You eat each one of them (laughs) and eat all 15 of them. What are you going to do? Kill yourself eating too much? (laughs) Yeah. Just keep putting them down. I don't know. That's that's shitty. 20 bucks. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, you really get them. Be like, all right, you know what I want for 20 bucks? I want an appetizer, entree, and dessert from Applebee's. Now go get it, motherfuckers. (laughs) Applebee's. (laughs) I want their... uh, the wonton tacos, the sizzling chicken and shrimp, and a fucking hot apple sundae. Now go get it. And have to go to Applebee's and get it for you. What are they going to do? You can't do say it, no. It's your last request, for yeah. fuck's sake. All right. Eileen died at 9.47 a.m., and she was the 10th woman in the United States and the second in Florida to be executed since the 1976 United States Supreme Court decision restoring capital punishment. Nick Broomfield, who probably, I mean, besides her friend Dawn, who Eileen wrote almost once a week throughout all these years she was in jail, Nick Broomfield would would have been next to have spent the most time with her. He said, quote, I think this anger developed inside her and she was working as a prostitute. I think she had a lot of awful encounters on the roads. And I think this anger just spilled out from inside her and finally exploded into incredible violence. That was her way of surviving. I think Eileen really believed that she had killed in self-defense. I think someone who's deeply psychotic can't really tell the difference between something that is life-threatening and something that is a minor disagreement that you could say something she didn't agree with. She would get into a screaming black temper about it. And I think that's what had caused these things to happen. And at the same time, when she wasn't in those extreme moods, there was an incredible humanity to her. I'm still somewhat sympathetic here, and I don't believe any of these are death penalty cases. I think it's certainly hard to 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 tell, you know, especially given her, you know, maybe were those official diagnoses that she received from like when she went through the uh, the courts and and had her assessments done. Yeah, between that and her changing her story, and given you know the situations that she was in, 
And some of this legal representation. And I'm not even thinking about it as like just being against the death penalty, just in general. Like, I don't know. None of these are just clear cut. Like, there's a lot of questions. Am I sympathetic towards her? No, I think she probably was a killer. But I don't know if there's enough just based on that, you know, to to, to say. I mean, because she got, what, a death penalty for every fucking one of these? Most of them. Yeah. That's crazy. And she wasn't even tried for the guy in Georgia because they never found his body. Mm -hmm. And she, according to her, was blacked out for it, like drunk. There's all things you do when you're blacked out, Mike. Shouldn't be executed for it. That is not (laughs) true. I will not say that. Um, Yeah, I don't have sympathy for her. I don't think she should should have been sentenced to death. Um, I think it's more so a case, like we talked about kind of throughout, I think the first one might have been self-defense and then she kind of enjoyed it because she was, it seemed like the theme in all of her stories and all of her versions was that she was pretty quick to go to her gun. Anytime anything happened, she didn't like. So I, I think she used that as an excuse. I think some of these people were just maybe innocent guys that picked her up to hitchhike and she was like, oh, I can get something out of these motherfuckers. And some of these guys might've been, uh, you know, looking for a sex worker and maybe did treat her rough as maybe some guys do when they get a sex worker in general, that's just maybe their thing or how they think they can treat someone yeah, like that. Yeah. And then she used that as an excuse to say, no, fuck I, you. I think it's probably a combination of all of those. Yeah. I think you're right. That's what I'm saying. I think yeah. it's kind of a combination. Does that, so that doesn't make her completely innocent, but that doesn't also entitle her to nine death sentences. I agree. I agree with that. I think I said it on part one that I, I sympathize with Eileen, or at least I think I do. Because of that lady when I was little that used to give me cigarettes, she reminds me of like an Eileen. Like I know mm-hmm. people like an Eileen. So I, there's when I'm watching her interviews and when she's being nice, I find her extremely likable. Yeah. And then <clears throat> you hear about her past. You know, it, it, I will be honest. Like when before I really really read into it, I was very sympathetic towards Eileen. I thought that probably a lot of this was self defense. But then after actually reading you know, the book and everything. Look, not I, a lot of these seem like self-defense at all. Right. I think all of them probably weren't, but I also think when you're a sex worker and you've been abused like that and probably raped once, if not more times that even the slightest little trigger or thought that someone's going to attack you, that's what your mind thinks. And to you, the same thing's happening again. And maybe you're a little premature and shooting people, but I don't know that that equates to being premeditated murder. I, yeah, I don't. And think I don't so. think it's a death penalty case. I agree. Is that true in all of those cases? I I don't know. You're never gonna know. They yeah. seem to be a little reckless after the fact. And and Ty was. You know, she knew every single one of them. You know. I mean, another one of those immunity deals where that Ty was probably not entirely innocent. Oh yeah, no, Eileen no. took the, the the fall for all of it. I mean, oh. she could have easily been charged with you know as an accessory maybe she was there or something like who knows you don't right. know there's no firsthand witness accounts here no i mean all you have is you have the people that you know the family members of the of the guys who were murdered and they all say that they're perfect you know people which they will yeah, and, and you get that all the time you've never right. seen a person murdered on the news that wasn't the perfect you know person right. no bad people ever get murdered so if you know Somewhere in the middle, the the, the truth is there. That's, that's usually the case, sure. 
I don't know. But it's not someone that picked up a two-year-old and slit their throat, and it's just, right. it's just not a death penalty case. I think there was it's not no cases, Dave. <laughs> what they See if I do that and it just shuts everybody <laughs> off, you can't come back from me. These were they went aggressive because they they pushed that this was all just robbery. Yeah, that she was just robbing these men and for no reason killed them because she just liked killing. Yeah, I don't see that. If this was the same situation with a guy, would we be talking about it the same way? If he was just, you know, saying, oh, I was, I was abused. I was just, you know, I was being a sex worker, but I was abused. No. And I'm asking legitimately. No, because I don't think the same scenario would be possible. Why? Because in, the, in every, all the, her situation, she won the struggle. So could that guy not also win that struggle and then kill them? I, 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 and I'm just legitimately asking a male sex worker with other men or with females. I was implying a man with other men, you know, he's, he's, he's working with other men and and then claiming abuse. Will we still be asking these questions or, or are we looking at it differently because she's a female? I don't know. I'm just throwing, I was throwing that out there. I think we're most definitely looking at it different because she's a female. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but. It's, but, pro- it's probably wrong, but, but in a man's, <laughs> the way, I'm sorry. Like in a man's case, that, I we're, don't know. we're more like, like, but what you said earlier, we're, we would be more likely to believe in every situation, you know, he was able to fight himself away and shoot them. But what I guess what I'm getting at is, would we believe him or would we say, no, this motherfucker just likes to kill? I'd like, I'm not saying there's an answer. I'd like to think I'd be impartial, but I, I don't know, which is why I always tell you to avoid a jury trial because. Because people, Cause like people like, I don't fucking know. Exactly. You're, like, you're trying to be impartial, exactly. but you don't know. That's right, exactly right. I still think there's a difference with the crimes committed. You know, if it was like, she's not like Ed Kemper mutilating bodies and stuff. I think it's easier to give her sympathy just because she shot people. Because then you don't really know. It's it leaves it up in the air. It could have been yeah. self defense. There was no joy shown in any of these murders. Right. It was just the murder. There was no getting off on their corpses or severing them and eating them or whatever. It was just simply simple shots in the back or the stomach and then get the fuck out. Now that doesn't mean that she didn't love it, but there's no But the we're pl- not talking about, you know, finding her DNA all over these skulls because she's, you know, yeah. Humping it. Well, and the plausibility of self-defense is still there. You can't disprove it entirely. Ed Kemper was going out and picking up right. young girls in his car and killing them. Right. There's no potential that that was self-defense. This has sure. the potential remains. You're never going to discount that. You're never going to disprove that. Right. Her execution was really political, too, or was politicized because Jeb Bush, I, I believe, if I remember the documentary correctly, it was an, an election year or he was campaigning for something. So he was all on the news pushing for yeah. what year was it? Uh, I think governor? it was Jeb Bush being governor. Probably. Oh, two. that happens all the time. Right. There was a big old party outside the, well, in prison. Texas yeah. or Florida. I never understand that part of that. They had big Bundy parties out there. Too yeah. They Florida. had, they were like shooting off fucking fireworks. Oh, yeah. They were all excited. Yeah. They were drinking beer and like celebrating the execution. Yeah. When they saw the light go for the electric for the electric chair, everybody's all cheering shit. It's very odd. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? What makes you go out there that day to the prison and celebrate that? I don't know. Like, I definitely don't think Ted Bundy needs to be around. Yeah. But, But at the same time, I don't. Yeah. 
agree like, with the death if, penalty because there's errors. You if know? you're one of the yeah. victims or, you know, a, a yeah, victim of someone yeah. who lost, like, I, I guess I could see that maybe. I mean, I'm still not traveling, I don't think. I'm not in that situation. I don't know. I'm not yeah. going to pretend like I would know. Maybe. But, like, if just like a, you know, the, casual observer <laughs> and I'm going to show up and yeah. celebrate someone dying. Eh, yeah, there was like, so. ran, they were selling t-shirts and shit out there. Jesus. Ted Bundy ones. Okay. Look, there's no, there's no good answers. It is what it is. I was going to ask final thoughts, but I think we had some damn good final thoughts on this one. Yeah. This is the best post notes conversation we've maybe have ever had. The other thing I was thinking about, I was talking about earlier today with her is that I I wonder if I didn't have the memory or relationship with the lady that used to give me cigarettes, if I would feel as sympathetic towards her, even with the woman thing, like, like if I could wipe that from my mind, I wonder if I could, you know, that's how I your would, mind works. Yeah. You can't get around that. Yeah. And that's how things, no work. one says you're wrong for feeling sympathetic. We're just saying, we don't want you on a jury. That's <laughs> yeah. all we're saying. Right. right. Like you can feel however you want about any of these situations. Just makes sense. Like Dave has always said, you don't want a jury trial because of situations like that. You absolutely never want a jury trial. You're a well-adjusted, normal human being, but in the back of your mind, you have that one story or instance of your life where you're going to feel a certain way. And it yeah. could work the opposite way. If a friend right. of yours got murdered by someone that looked like the defendant, that's also going to be in the exactly. back of your head. Yeah. You, don't, you don't want right. that jury trial. Yes. All right. That's all I got. This was an episode. I've said my piece. All right. We got some patron shout outs. Thank you very much to new patrons. Lindsay Wyatt, Sierra Wilton, Haley Hughes, David D- Doolin, AKA Jordy. Jenna Carpenter, Jared Greenfield, Emily Harris, Gloria, Christopher Wolf, Tanya, Back Alley Minion, Liz Blowen, Graham Trudeau, Cammie Raver, Tara Z, Dylan Johnson, Joshua Murray, Caden Merriweather, Steve McMorris, Maddie Fouth, Viola, Tim Matthews, Savage, Carolyn Willoughby, Dustin Habert, Timothy H, Joshua Balboa, Emma Harkins, harder than MJ at a kid's party. God damn, pal. <laughs> Austin Kirkland, Lauren Garnett Mackey, Sohela Seif, Seif, Bethany Wemple, Nicole Bond, Heather Souter, Morgan Gianelli, Pierce Franklin, Florida Man, Pillar America, Amanda, Don Pauling, Dabinaroni, Kathy Sanders, Emily Kelly, Michelle Hilson, Smegma Quesadilla, Tomato Sword, Ernest Bennett, Aaron Moore, Lisa, Sir Zanitz, Brenda Shu, Kelly Kay, Mike Mike Oxmall, Dodge <laughs> Marks, Carly Cons, Jonathan Trujillo, Colin Reynolds. Mike Namapod likes Wiener. <laughs> I do love hot dogs. Ross Skurr, Deidre Nelson, Asia and David Wright, Amanda, Alexandria York. Wasn't that the name of uh, Terry Runnels in WCW? Alex and maybe it was Alexandra York. You remember that? It was. I never watched WCW. Really. It was early nineties. Uh, anyways, all right. Alexandria York, Pandra Fegley. David Johnson, Holly Barron, Aaron Riley, Selena Stevens, Autumn Calendar, Ashley Raposa, Trevor Campbell, Mary Fournier, 
Cleo May, Tim Campbell, Eatable Donkey, Christian Lopez, Clay, Beck Fair, Lurkin Turk, Alana Patterson, Ruth Caden, Zachary Tappan, Melissa Maya, Sophia True, Justin Newby, TR Hill 612, Angie Gilbert, and Jastronaut. Thank you very much. We are at patreon.com slash necronomapod. What was that one? Schmegma fajita? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, not very appetizing. Mm-hmm. Is that what I said? I'm, Schmegma I, I, fajita that sounds, or something? That doesn't sound great. It's dick cheese, <laughs> man. It, it, Schmegma? <laughs> Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Jacqueline Elise, Black Death 28, Shell Bell 53, Amaze B, Mrs. 2B0914, L Senior Balls Johnson, <laughs> Cassie J, Gerald McBoink, True Crime Fan, and Fantasia. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, what do you got? I don't have anything. Thanks for thanks for asking though. Of course. You're always welcome to uh, give your last word. Oh, appreciate it. All right. Uh, we got some new uh, merchandise up on uh, Amazon. Go check those out. We got three new logos up there available in all su- all designs and sizes and hoodies and T-shirts and long sleeves and tank tops and zip ups and Bunch all that shit. fun stuff. Still so some stickers on the website too. stickers on the website. That's the stickers are actually at Necronomapod.com. All other clothing merch is on Amazon, yeah. so make sure you check those out. Get them while they last, because I'm going to take them off soon, because it's a pain in the ass to ship them, and I don't really want to do it. So. <laughs> I'm just going to pull them off pretty soon. <laughs> so you better fucking order soon. <laughs> Three packs available right now. Um, other than that, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod. Hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, series, because this has been a highly requested one. So hope everyone enjoys it. And uh, see you next week. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>